This is Paul Gladder, executive editor at religionunplugged.com, and I'm here in New York City today with Sergei Chapnin, who is uh, originally from Russia. We're going to hear about and talk about Russia and orthodoxy today. Um, he's now here in New York with the Orthodox Christian Study Center at Fordham University, where he is a director of communications. And um, we've gotten to know each other over the last couple of years on this ongoing research project around orthodoxy and human rights, which we'll talk about maybe some of the uh, research coming out of that project. But recently I saw, Sergey, you, um, well, why don't you first tell us, how did you end up coming to Fordham and, you know, a little bit about your journey from Russia to wherever else in between and now here? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an amazing story, I would say. I came in, in the very beginning of February last year just to visit friends and organize uh, some exhibitions um, I'm doing exhibitions of contemporary Christian art, and I have a really wonderful collection of contemporary icons. I guess this is the biggest collection of contemporary icons uh, dedicated to the uh, saints of, on the, of the undivided church, that the, 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 the saints of the first millennium. And I have uh, more than 100 or more, more than 100 icon painters from 15 countries participated in this project. And the idea actually was to bring this exhibition to Fordham. Hmm. But then within a few weeks, uh, the war the, uh, in Ukraine uh, uh, began. And uh, now I'm, I'm in the States and the collection is in Russia. Hmm. And uh, I have no idea now how to logistically, how to uh, transfer the icons wow. here. Wow. So we're just waiting uh, right mm -hmm. now. So yes, and as a part uh, of uh, this Orthodox and Human Rights Project uh, at Fordham University, um, um, I was invited also to sort of continue my work here. Well, actually, uh, I gave a quite a few interviews, again, of CBS, uh, mm -hmm. um, I guess Financial Times, New York Times, commenting are on the Russian invasion. Mm -hmm. uh, and within a few weeks, uh, Russian parliament um, uh, adopted so-called kind of uh, laws of the wartime uh, so that you could be uh, imprisoned just for calling the war the war and not just special wow. special military operation. And then there was a second uh, law, uh, so the Russian citizen citizens uh, uh, cannot call for sanctions against other Russian no. citizens. So, and I, I, I think I was the first to call uh, for sanctions for mm -hmm. Peter Kirill because mm -hmm. of the, his support of the invasion. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> uh, you never know. So maybe I, when I'll be back, that could be up to 12 years in prison. So mm -hmm. I decided it's better to stay in America. Wow. Okay. So you're a voice of dissent against the both the invasion of of uh, Putin into Ukraine last year that started last year, and and also Kirill's uh, support for it. What was your? Could you tell us a little bit of your own background? I, do I did I recall that you were a like a spokesperson, both a journalist in Russia um, and religion reporting and other things, but um, but also had a role with uh, the Russian Orthodox Church in years well, past? Or? I was baptized when I was 20 years old, um, and I was very active in the small parish in Moscow suburbs, uh, and at the same time studying uh, journalism in Moscow University. And I became, I guess, one of the first religious journalists um, in Actually, at that time in Soviet Union still, that was 1991. Uh, and within 10 years, uh, uh, in the beginning of 2000s, I was invited to reorganize the 
official newspaper of the Moscow Patriarchate. And by that time, I already knew personally uh, Metropolitan Kirill. Uh, and when he became Patriarch in 2009, he invited me not only to be the um, uh, executive editor uh, of, the news of the official newspaper, but also the official magazine of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church. So um, I did that. I reorganized the, the magazine also about within three years, I would say, uh, back in uh, 2012, I realized that uh, the uh, policy, the, the new policy of the Patriarchate mm -hmm. and uh, that was actually shaped out by Patriarch Kirill himself are, is wrong, especially in terms of sort of subordination church to the state. Mm. Uh, and I started to criticize or sort of the politics of, of the Orthodox Church in general. Mm -hmm. uh, but within the next two years, that was a kind of personal conflict with mm. uh, Patriarch Kirill. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was fired in 2015. Mm. So I worked almost uh, 14, almost 15 years uh, in Moscow Patriarchate. And then I became an independent journalist and independent researcher. Um, uh, I was a part of the project of the post-secular uh, conflicts with Christina Stockel at um, University of Innsbruck. Um, and um, yes, and uh, that is why sort of, and I, I wrote a lot both for our media in Russia, basically secular media, but about the religion mm -hmm. and in, in, in Europe and in America. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the some of the researchers at this gathering, Christina, who you mentioned, I'm going to do a podcast, a whole podcast with her about her new book. Um, and But to summarize it, she studied, as I, if I summarize it correctly, um, she studied the relationships, um, uh, the power politics of the, the, the Russian Orthodox Church at the UN, um, advocating for traditional family values and other things, including you know anti-LGBTQ policies, etc., and um, and the connections that other uh, Western Protestants and other groups around the world uh, that were developing between Russian Orthodox Church and the interconnections there. And then today we heard another researcher uh, who has a book that's out that's studying in America. Russian Orthodox communities, uh, converts, uh, ROCOR, Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia, and again, sort of this interest from some Americans ab about Russia. And so um, I guess I'm curious on a personal level, back to you, do you still consider yourself a member of the Russian Orthodox Church or a different part of Orthodoxy? Where has it sent you or taken you? Well, personally, I'm now a member of the uh, parish uh, of the Orthodox Church in America. Mm -hmm. So are uh, here in the United States. But what is interesting in general, uh, I would say that uh, back uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, some 100 years ago, uh, the Russian church was, I would say, the most liberal church uh, in the Orthodox world. And the decisions of the local council of the Russian church of 1917-1918 uh, where they proves that actually that that was an attempt uh, to build an Orthodox Church, which has no um, relation to the kind of imperial past, I would say, with representation and balance of powers within the Church, and rather, uh, I would say, radical or for the Orthodox in the Orthodox context, liturgical reforms. Nothing happened because of the Bolshevik Revolution. 
And now we ended up uh, with the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, the I would say most conservative church uh, in the Orthodox world. So that's uh, 180% uh, kind of turn, totally opposite to what it was uh, before. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that um, in a way, uh, this is the result of uh, this are uh, of the collapse of the Soviet Union because people experience serious problems with their identity uh, and they tried to be kind of more liberal and democratic in 90s uh, they suffered and then when Putin came and suggested well let's let's, let's build a new empire our, I would say people were uh, most of them didn't realize what what was going on but that was a clear conservative turn, and the church supported this turn. Mm -hmm. So uh, we ended up with this uh, uh, concept of traditional values uh, that, uh, in fact, uh, I think that's quite important to understand what's going on in Russia. So this, uh, all this uh, blah, blah, blah about traditional values, this is not a concept. This is just the rhetorics. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, the rhetoric is different when, for example, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Lavrov, is speaking somewhere uh, outside Russia. This is one, say, concept. Uh, when Putin is addressing the nation, it's another concept. And when Petro Kirill is sort of mentioning uh, traditional values in uh, his sermons or uh, uh, speeches, this is something different again. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, but what uh, what all these guys together managed to do is that uh, they make this position of Russia and Russian Church attractive uh, to different um, conservative networks uh, in Europe and in the United States, and uh, on one hand and on the other hand, they in a way suggested a kind of uh, secular projection uh, of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was uh, very important for Russia because Russia is a very secular country. I would say maximum 2% are regular churchgoers. Mm. Say. And has that changed as, as, as Putin has, as some might say, co-opted you know, or religion, Orthodox religion has become, again, more part of the new mother Russia, I mean, have, has it had any impact on attendance or no, participation? No, that's just, that's just the ideology. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say that those who support this kind of orthodox ideology, or uh, my term for that is post-Soviet civil religion, which is kind of packed in uh, orthodox traditions, but the, the core uh, is still quite Soviet. And with a sort of with this uh, military cult of the victory in the Second World War, which played really a crucial role in this uh, in organizing and justifying the invasion of Russia into Ukraine, uh, and but sort of going back to traditional values, uh, uh, the um, uh, this huge support are, are from different Christian groups uh, outside Russia uh, is a uh, really unexpected effect. Uh, I would say, in a way, it's a victory of uh, sort of, of basically of the Russian state um, uh, over the uh, uh, conservative or uh, Christian groups, uh, basically. Um, 
in different countries. And Christina's uh, uh, research was on that, mm -hmm. how, how that happened. And what else besides of um, traditional values, uh, what elements are uh, in this concept of uh, uh, the Russian church as the most conservative church in the world uh, from the outside, from kind of the, the perspective from, from Europe and from the United States? And it's, that's, that's a very good research. Mm -hmm. So I, I really recommend this book, The Moralist International. It's available for free uh, on the Amazon and Kindle, right? And Kindle, the Kindle version is free. So if you would like to kind of have a paperback, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. then. The, so yeah. orthodoxy is to a lot of Americans and and probably people from almost any non-orthodox majority country. Orthodoxy is very complex, hard to understand to outsiders, and so. But if we try to look at just the. Russia and Ukraine war, right? It, people can see that a war is happening, invasion has happened, and, and Russia is essentially trying to take land, take all part or all of, of Ukraine. Um, for for people who don't understand the religion part of it, where does religion play into regarding uh, Russian Orthodox Church, Ukraine, uh, the Orthodox Church in the Ukraine, and the various schisms that that seem to be happening? Um, and how is religion, uh, you know, being used in this conflict if people aren't aware of that? Yeah, yeah you're right. Well, the, the, the first thing are, it's, uh, and it's extremely important, that uh, religion and uh, Orthodox Church plays an important role in this conflict. But then uh, I don't want to sort of to oversimplify the situation, but I will try to make the story short. So Ukraine was a part of Russian Empire and then a part of Soviet Union. Uh, so in fact, the church, uh, the main church in Ukraine was still, though the, the, uh, the state became independent, um, the church was still a part uh, of the Moscow Patriarchate of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, with certain kind of uh, splits uh, and there were a few other non-canonical Orthodox churches uh, that five years ago were recognized by the by Greeks by the Ecumenical Patriarchate and became a they became canonical but still there is a deep division between these two communities uh, and uh, that could last for decades uh, but what made the situation much more complicated is the invasion. The, the major group uh, which was or which declared its sort of independence from Moscow Patriarchate uh, is partly still uh, very much pro-Russian uh, and that causes political problems and even sort of criminal problems sometimes and some for example some priests and even bishops they escaped from Ukraine after Russian invasion they were very, are uh, they, they cooperate with uh, with Russian uh, administration, and when Ukrainians took this uh, territory back, uh, they were uh, sort of uh, charged by uh, SBU by by, by the uh, uh, police, and they escaped um, uh, in Russia. So they are they are staying in Russia now. So and that's 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 a serious problem for the Ukrainian church. Uh, and the the other uh, part, which is sort of became autocephalous under Greeks, they are much more patriotic, and they have a dialogue, uh, at least on the unofficial dialogue with mm -hmm. the kind of former kind of Moscow Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of Ukraine. So this this two main definitions. 
but uh, this dialogue will, is kind of really uh, delicate and complicated. Um, so are very few, just the few few first steps were made during last year. So uh, uh, generally speaking, I would say that uh, Russia, Russian church, the ethos of Russian church is still the imperial ethos. And it's just unified church on the whole territory of Russian Federation. Uh, the patriarch is close to the president and bishops are close to local state authorities. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. In Ukraine, we have a totally different model of religious life. Uh, there is a competition between different uh, uh, churches. Uh, none of them is really close to the state, or at least until now. Um, and um, it's kind of more kind of American model. Mm -hmm. And in Ukraine, if I understand it, has higher church attendance rates, it has many semin uh, uh, seminaries that actually, am I right to understand a lot of Ukrainian uh, priests go uh, are minister are priests in Russia. In other words, it's sort of a more religious place uh, for the Orthodox Church than Russia. Is that true? Or is um, that yes, right? Because the the whole system of uh, uh, how the church is organized are according to the uh, state legislation is different. For example, mm -hmm. in Russia, it's imperial. the The main accent uh, is made on. Um, uh, on the hierarchical structure, mm -hmm. and in Ukraine, the main our uh, our uh, agent is the local community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the local community is in the center, and all the hierarchy is the kind of uh, kind of that's the additional structure. Mm -hmm. So that's why our uh, there is a our difference. There is it's a, and in fact it's a huge difference. Uh, the Russians are cannot understand uh, the Ukrainian church because mm -hmm. of that because mm -hmm. they think well they are our neighbors they have everything the same, mm -hmm. uh, but in fact they are not. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that's that that gives the uh, uh, th this wrong perspective. And I think Patriarch Kirill himself are suffers from this wrong vision uh, of the Ukrainian orthodoxy. Hmm. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. He uh, he promotes the idea that there is one nation, uh, there is one sort of the myth uh, uh, of Holy Rus unites um, different countries now and different nations, Russia, Ukraine and Belarus. Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, from his imperial perspective, uh, Russians are sort of in the top. Mm. Uh, and Ukrainians and Belarusians, they are kind of, uh, they should subordinate. Mm. Wow. But the world is different now. Yeah. Uh, they, they all are, see themselves as independent nations. Mm -hmm. And they're not happy uh, sort of with all this uh, kind of calls and ideas that sh they should be a part of. Well, th there is a reality. We have three different states. And there is a kind of rhetorics that we are one Holy Rus, uh, something, at least historically. Um, and that's the biggest mistake of Patriarch Kirill, that he still promotes this vision, though uh, this vision is not rooted uh, at all in our real political and cultural our, uh, situation in the post-Soviet space. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we're, if we're just trying to look at it rationally, I mean, one can one can kind of 
perhaps see what Putin or Kirill see in, in an invasion, what's in it for them or their institutions, right? Or their empire, uh, imperial, you know, gaining land or gaining, uh, keeping something out of NATO, a country out of NATO, or, or um, gaining, um, you know, even historical, uh, the idea of the Rus or a birthplace of Russian identity or religion. I mean, there's all these things that they would perhaps like to gain. But the risk analysis, I'm kind of curious to hear your take on, I think we know the risks. We don't need to talk so much about the risk to Russia losing a war, right? Uh, or to Putin losing a war. But what are the risks for Kirill and the, and the Russian Orthodox Church for essentially supporting um, this invasion? How do you assess those risks? Well, um, I would say, again, I'm going back into the 90s. And in the 90s, uh, the uh, Russian Orthodox Church uh, was quite liberal uh, because the state was liberal, actually. And then when the state became uh, kind of uh, more imperial uh, in its authoritarian in its, in its nature, uh, the church also became uh, much more authoritarian. And uh, Patriarch Kirill actually are all this... Uh, uh, he concentrated all the power in his hands, like like Putin in 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 in, in the country. Hmm. So um, uh, this uh, this processes are in a way kind of a parallel processes. The the churches kind hmm. of copying, uh, imitating in a way the hmm. the, the, the the state. Mm -hmm. um, and are well in terms of Russia itself. Well, it's just it's just like that. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, that means that. All the dioceses and the um, uh, autonomous churches that are under Moscow Patriarchate in in Baltic states, in Belarus, in uh, uh, Ukraine, in Kazakhstan, uh, they see that uh, there is sort of no real future if they will stay uh, under this kind of uh, this authoritarian Moscow uh, patriarch. So. Um, during this year, we see that uh, the church in in Lithuania, for example, the the tiny state in the Baltic mm -hmm, region, mm -hmm. uh, they now they 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 defrocked they defrocked uh, the local bishop of the Russian mm -hmm. Orthodox Church, defrocked wow. five priests uh, because they were very firm. Um, uh, they have very firm position against the war. Oh wow! They were and they were just uh, absolutely non-canonically defrocked uh, for that by, for political reasons. Wow! And they were accepted uh, recently into the Ecumenical Patriarchate. So mm -hmm. now, which is Greek, which is yeah. the Greek or, or one, led by Greek, but it's yeah, Ecumenical, yeah, right. right? Right, right. So uh, mm -hmm. they were restored as priests, and now mm -hmm. there are two parallel jurisdictions in Lithuania: uh, the the Russian one, and the Russian priests actually they're basically mm -hmm. Russian and Lithuanian priests mm -hmm. um, under the uh, uh, Greek patriarchate, the communical mm. patriarchate. In Latvia, uh, the state uh, forced, uh, and that's another uh, interesting case, the state forced the local diocese uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, to proclaim our, its uh, independence from Moscow. Again, this is totally non-canonical procedure but that shows the kind of the the how the politics interfere in uh, religious life, and the diocese, the, the the metropolitan said, okay, we we agree with with our government, we we are sort of we support this decision to be independent from Moscow. So again, but uh, so politically, you're 
independent now, but canonically, uh, you're it's it's really difficult to sort of get a, a clear canonical status without uh, permission uh, from Moscow. Mm-hmm. What will happen? We don't know for the moment, but mm. but it's a huge uh, it's a it's a huge development within mm. the Orthodox world. So that happened in a Lithuania. Uh, Lithuania is a Catholic country, so the priests were defrocked or whatnot. I mean, is there any space anywhere? Are you seeing anyone in the Russian Orthodox Church in Russia or abroad speaking out against the war invasion? Is there anybody who's? I mean, um, is there any room for that kind of? dissident voice now or is it is there is it's it a, a very good question and, and very complicated question uh you know that our in the first weeks of invasion uh back in march uh 2022 uh there was an open letter calling for peace uh and more than i guess 400 uh priests uh signed uh this uh letter uh and uh I would say half of them were priests of the Russian Orthodox Church, but they were uh, outside Russia, uh, and but half of them were sort of Russian priests in Russia, mm-hmm. and some of them uh, suffer. Uh, if uh, some of them left uh, Russian Federation, uh, uh, there was certain pressure on them. But it's a tricky thing. So no, no one of them was kind of uh, punished for signing the letter. Hmm. But within a few weeks or a few months, uh, there was another reason to put pressure on this priest. And we all know that that was just the formal reason. The actual reason is because they have anti-war position. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there is a certain fear, of course, the certain fear uh, among priests. So I would say uh, the vast majority of them are, are keeping silence. Maybe 20% do actively support the war, and maybe another 20% uh, uh, do not speak publicly against mm. the war, but in their private conversations, they say that we no, we are against. Uh, mm-hmm. Much worse the situation is with bishops. Uh, I would say 100% of them, or 99% of them, uh, support the war and are totally in line with the state. Mm. And they participate in this uh, in different propaganda events, and they um, mm. used to give really uh, terrible uh, sermons uh, justifying the war, mm. supporting uh, Russian military, um, and uh, I think this this it, it's a kind of moral bankruptcy uh, mm. of the Russian Orthodox Church today. Wow. Sorry to say that. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's driven by power or money or something exactly. when you get to the higher, exactly. those higher uh, levels. So um, two last questions for me. One is um, some of us were chatting here, and I think it was you who brought up the word heresy. Where does that come into play here? Uh, as another, I don't know if that's a risk or if that's a, something real. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, if you could sort of look or... Uh, at the or just read carefully the uh, sermons uh, of Patriarch Kirill during this wartime, starting uh, March uh, last year and until now, uh, you will see are, that there are definitely are uh, unorthodox and I would say unchristian statements, public statements made by uh, Patriarch Kirill, like uh, you know the. The Russians are fighting on the side of our 
light uh, and good against the our forces of evil and darkness. And this is not just the war for territory. This is a kind of metaphysical battle or the battle that has kind of metaphysical significance. Uh, then Patriarch later, within a few months, um, Patriarch Kirill said that, uh, that if, if a soldier, Russian soldier, dies uh, on the battlefield, it's a kind of sacrifice. So um, he is washed by that from his sins. Uh, and the question now is, uh, could we uh, qualify uh, these statements as a heresy? Uh, is there any kind of new Russian heresy hmm. that we have to analyze and maybe condemn? Or uh, because, and it's an open question and quite serious question, uh, because uh, Patriarch Kirill uh, does not speak about God. Hmm. So this is not about kind of deals with Christology or ecclesiology. Uh, this is kind of our, well, that's sometimes about salvation. Yeah? And, uh, hmm. uh, but anyway, our, our, uh, that's the no, an open question to theologians in different churches. Uh, maybe not only Orthodox, mm -hmm. um, uh, to uh, sort of to give a clear, and maybe there will be a few concepts are kind of are competing, or somebody could say this is not a heresy at all. The others will say, well, that's a kind of heresy in traditional way, for example. Uh, the, the others will say that, well, maybe we will need to redefine what uh, is heresy in uh, contemporary uh, world, in modern world. Uh, uh, but I think it's it's extremely important uh, to speak about that and mm -hmm. to have a, an open discussion because this is like in a way this is the discussion about the future of not only of the Russian Orthodox Church but this is the uh, question of the future of Christianity uh, in general uh, and um, I'm looking forward for this discussion. Mm. Who would raise that issue that that issue of heresy? Would it be Theologians, uh, uh, who has the authority to, to question Kirill? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, a year ago, again, I'm referring to the declaration on the mm -hmm. teaching on Ruski Mir uh, that was published by a few Western theologians. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't use. Uh, they were kind of. They were planning to uh, to uh, use word heresy, mm -hmm. but in the last version, they finally kind of withdraw uh, this word. But later. Uh, Patriarch Bartholomew, uh, in one of his speeches, mm -hmm. or that's the ecumenical patriarch, the Greek patriarch, mm -hmm. uh, he uh, was also almost um, uh, at the point saying that, that this is a heresy. Mm. So we see that, and there are some theologians like um, uh, Father Cyril Hoverun, also is oh, yeah. invo involved in this uh, uh, discussion. So uh, there, there is some ground for that mm -hmm, right now. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is how that this discussion will uh, develop. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it's something to keep watching for sure. And before we go, I want to ask you one other thing that you brought up when we were chatting. Uh, I saw that you spoke, I think, at Yale Divinity School recently about uh, history. And it relates, as I understand it, to... This film, maybe some of our readers and listeners are aware of in the U.S. called The Jesus Revolution, where these filmmakers, you know, made a feature film. We've reviewed it on our site, but it, it tells a story of the hippie movement in the 70s that drew some hippies into, you know, Jesus movement, Jesus people. Um, it was an interesting moment in sort of American 
uh, Christianity. And you were telling me that there was some corollary in the Russian context of hippies and Christianity. And I'd love to hear that. Yes, that that that, that was a very interesting story. Uh, we did have hippies in Soviet Union uh, back in late 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, and uh, after the collapse of uh, the Soviet Union, uh, some of them converted and became Christians and actually um, even sort of monks and uh, priests um, in the Orthodox Church. And that was uh, a clear uh, uh, statement that there was a real freedom within the church. Hmm. And these hippies who were sort of praising freedom, they finally find uh, the hmm. freedom within the church. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, well, some of them are sort of openly speaking, yes, we were hippies. Others were saying, well, that was sometime in the past when we were young, so this is not something important for us today. Uh, but what is interesting, uh, now, uh, in 2023, we have these uh, former hippies uh, on kind of uh, in both camps. Some of them are praising this famous priest in, in uh, Minsk, uh, Lemeshon, Andrei Lemeshonok, uh, who is the kind of spiritual advisor to a big uh, convent um, in, uh, in Minsk. Uh, and he is close to Lukashenko, to the Belarusian dictator. He is praising Putin. Hmm. He is supporting Russian military, gathering some hmm. kind of humanitarian aid for Russian troops. Uh, and on the other uh, side, there are uh, priests who are sort of against our hippies, former hippies, who are against the war and uh, uh, supporting their community in this kind of um, anti-war uh, position. You know, that's uh, not just moral, but basically ideological split within the community, the, the, the new Orthodox community that was formed back, back in the 90s, um, we see that uh, quite some of them are really happy with this, to be a part of the uh, uh, kind of reconstructed imperial church. Um, and I'm very sorry about that. Hmm. Wow. Well, it sounds like it should be its own movie, <laughs> like we have the one here. There should yeah, be a movie that about could, all that could be a movie one right. day. Yeah. So, well, thanks for chatting with us about these issues, which are, of course, serious um, in the world. And, and you know, I, I hope we see more discussion of rights and conscience, uh, um, you know, in, in all parts of religion, but in, in continuing in the Orthodox uh, world. And thanks for your time chatting about it and involvement with this. Yeah. Thank you for the invitation.